In the name of Jesus, Jesus, at whose name every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Repent. It's the very first of the 95 Theses, the first proposition for discussion that Martin Luther nailed on that bulletin board church door at Wittenberg in 1517. This is that sentence. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of the believers should be a life of repentance. Is it possible that we should be spending our Reformation time this year repenting? I think so. I think that's the message from St. Paul here in Philippians, and in particular, in our text for today. At this time in the month, when we're approaching the Reformation Festival on the 31st of October, we tend to think about the Lutheran sola system, don't we? Those words that all have the cadence in Latin of sola, alone only. We are saved by grace alone. We are saved by faith alone. We are saved by scripture alone. It all has to do alone with Christ. So here we are with this text in front of us, and I have a little bit more Luther to share as well. It has to do with suffering. This is Martin Luther writing about the story of the suffering servant, the prophecy of Christ in the book of Isaiah. When he was commenting on Isaiah 53, Luther said, this is the second part of our understanding and justification. To know that Christ suffered and was cursed and killed, but for us. It's not enough to know about the matter of his sufferings. It's necessary to know the working of his sufferings. The sentence that we have for our text today is actually half of a very long sentence in Philippians chapter 3. The complete sentence goes this way. St. Paul says, I am no longer trying for perfection by my own efforts, the perfection that comes from the law, but I want only the perfection that comes through faith in Christ and is from God and based on faith. That's justification by faith alone, by grace alone, by scripture alone, solely because of Christ. But then Paul goes on. All I want to know is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings by reproducing the pattern of his death. That is the way I can hope to take my place in the resurrection of the dead. Here's the thing to repent of. We have only been teaching half of the doctrine of justification. As Luther himself says, there is a second part. St. Paul is very concerned about this throughout the letter to the Philippians. You can actually hear it when he talks about knowing Christ. He's using a word that means personal acquaintance, not the kind of learning that maybe some of my students might have to have to pass an exam or a quiz, but the kind of personal acquaintance that shows up in the Old Testament word for knowing, as in Adam 
knew his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to the son. It's this kind of personal knowing as things are meant to be with God and in his creation and among ourselves. The key, I think, to the entire book of Philippians, which is all about this personal knowledge of the personal God in one's own life and in the life of the church especially, is this utterly huge section in Philippians chapter 2. Here it is. In your minds, you must be the same as Christ Jesus. His state was divine, yet he did not cling to his equality with God, but emptied himself to assume the condition of a slave and became as men are, and being as all men are, he was humbler yet, even to accepting death, death on a cross. But God raised him high and gave him the name which is above all other names, so that all beings in the heavens, on earth, and in the underworld should bend the knee at the name of Jesus, and that every tongue should acclaim Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the first part of the fellowship of his sufferings. The first important part, which is Jesus establishing fellowship with us from his standpoint, from the work of God, from this sola gratia, grace alone stuff, Jesus is establishing fellowship with us. How is he doing it? God is becoming a human being in the fullness of time, at the moment of that one-of-a-kind pregnancy with Mary the Virgin, as we know from Scripture and as we confess in the Creed, Mary conceived by the Holy Ghost, the Son of God. Here it is, coming together. God himself taking on body and soul, flesh and blood, remaining God and taking on our own humanity. You know he still has that today, don't you? He didn't chuck off his humanity when he ascended into heaven. He remains this savior. But now look especially at the sufferings. This is second article stuff. This is that second long paragraph in our creeds. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried, and then he rose. This is the work of God, God alone, for us. May I tell you something else? This is also the region of the third petition in the Lord's Prayer. In that prayer, Jesus, as you know, taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here is the grounding of that petition in the Lord's Prayer. God didn't stay in heaven, so to speak. He came to us. And Jesus, being very God of very God, as well as truly human, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, talked to his Father, allowing us a look into the work among the Trinity for God's love and salvation for us. And what do we learn? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth is taking place in the person of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane 
on the cross with the suffering of Jesus, the God-man. Jesus, as St. Paul says, emptied himself. He didn't stop becoming, being God. He simply determined not to use his divine abilities to get out of it. He marvelously determined to harmonize everything he was doing with his Father's express will. And of course, you know something else. Jesus had to suffer in order to be God. Do you know what I mean? He had to do it because this is the way God did do it. It had to be, it is of necessity, it can't be otherwise, because even before he laid the foundations of this world, as Paul tells us in another of his epistles, Ephesians 1, God was purposing to save us in Christ. Save us how? Through suffering. Through suffering. This is not God in the form of some sort of sage walking around telling us wise things, help us clean up our lives a bit or get those lives a little easier to live or make us a little wiser. This is wisdom incarnate come to suffer for us, to show us, to demonstrate, to act out the reality that God does not remain at high altitude from his fallen creation, dropping suffering on us. But he enters into our flesh and blood to suffer for us, as Luther said, to suffer with us in our humanity, to take on himself the sin of the world, to take on himself the sin of the world, to take on his person the sin of the world and suffer our sufferings to earn heaven in our place. There's a second dimension to this. Remember, what St. Paul has been telling us in our text is this, all I want to know, all I want is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings by reproducing the pattern of his death. The second element is how Jesus brings that to us. It's brought to us in the means of grace. It comes through word and sacrament and that means that Jesus' suffering, his fellowship with us in the first place, is also a matter of baptism. St. Paul again, Romans chapter 6, we have been buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as he was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life to the glory of God the Father. This is not a Hallmark card. This is not a fond wish. This is God. This is God working through that water of baptism, which is hardly sterile, but is his powerful means of changing hearts and minds. Now, there's a second element to this. This is the part where I think that we have not been paying attention, we haven't been preaching, we haven't been teaching, and we haven't been using this the way we're called to do with the people in our world. St. Paul is telling us that we need to participate in the fellowship of his sufferings by reproducing the pattern of Christ's death and resurrection. This is what fellowship means, right? It means to have in common. The word for fellowship in the Bible, which shows up, for instance, in Acts, the fellowship among the believers, 
who shared the Lord's Supper, but who shared everything else with those in need as well. That fellowship is described as koinonia. Do you hear our word coin in there? Something common, something that can be shared among everybody. And the coin of the realm in God's kingdom is suffering. If you understand me, Jesus would not be Jesus if he hadn't suffered for the sins of the world. This was foretold already in the Garden of Eden right after that insurgency by Adam and Eve. The seed of the woman will crush Satan's head, but he will bruise his heel. It's part of the leitmotif of all of the scriptures coming down to the fulfillment of the Messiah promise. Remember again Isaiah that Luther cited. And it is part of the reality of our lives today. This fellowship in his sufferings begins with Jesus, but the suffering that he sends into our lives also cements the fellowship with him by pushing us back onto our baptismal grace, by pushing us back onto salvation by grace alone, not by anything that we can possibly do, to put us not in line with being perfect in keeping God's law, what utter nonsense and futility, but rather to remind us that Jesus himself was made perfect in suffering. There's a passage. Thought Jesus was perfect being God. That's right. But until the completion of God's plan of salvation, it wasn't all perfect. Do you see? It wasn't complete. It wasn't what God had planned. It wasn't what he promised. It wasn't in line with who he was, is, and ever will be. Jesus' suffering is the pattern for our suffering. Jesus' suffering in our place means that Jesus brings us through his word, through those sacraments, into fellowship with him in his suffering. This, too, is an exercise of the third petition in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can I tell you something about some of God's people on the other side of the world who have been praying about God's will being done in our lives here in the United States? I've um, had the opportunity to do some teaching in Hong Kong and I've actually been invited to do some lecturing in a mainland university in China. A university at the time of some 60,000 students that had only two Christian professors on its entire faculty. And I was invited to come and speak and say what those professors couldn't. In my lectures on philosophy and truth, I could tell them about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. I am absolutely awestruck by what those folks in China, in God's church, have to go through just in order to be able to hear and share the gospel. Well, anyhow, here's what I learned a little bit later. This was when I was doing some teaching in South Africa, and I worked with a former student and a brother in the ministry, some of the seminary teaching there, and he said, did you know that for my doctoral dissertation, I worked with the Christian churches in China to find out what they were praying. 
and I ask them especially, when you think about the United States, what do you pray? And here is the surprising response. They were praying that God would send suffering on us in the United States. What do you make of that? I think that's some powerful, wise Christianity going on there. They were praying, our Father who art in heaven, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And they knew what it meant for them to treasure the gospel, to be willing to risk life and death for the sake of the resurrection in Christ, to share that gospel with other people. And they realized at the time that we were awfully lazy over here, that we were not suffering very much as a church. So they prayed that God would send suffering on the churches in America. Here it is. If you haven't been watching, it's happening right now. I mean, the kind of suffering, not just that afflicts us as individuals, but the kind of suffering that affects us as members of the body of Christ here in this place and here in this time. If you haven't seen it yet, I predict that you're not going to be able to miss it in a few months or a year or so. But it's there. It's here. We are suffering. The suffering comes from God. What is the purpose of that? If Christ has already suffered for all people and paid for us, what in the world is the purpose of our having to go on and suffer? It certainly is not to earn heaven. Jesus has taken care of that. That's the grace alone stuff. That's the justification stuff. But what remains is for us to be molded to the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Not to see this as something we can have access to if and when we feel we may need it, but as something that we know we urgently need. We need to know suffering so that we can know Christ. To know Christ is to know suffering. To know Christ is to know that suffering is where God brings us up short so that we know there is nowhere but nowhere else to go except to Christ and his word. And this is what that looks like. This is Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you deserted me? How far from saving me the words I groan, I call all day, my God, but you never answer. All night long I call and cannot rest. Do you hear the lamenting to God in this psalm of Jesus and this psalm of ours? In you our fathers put their trust, yet here am I, now more worm than man. Yet you placed me from my mother's womb in you. Do not stand aside, trouble is near, I have no one to help me. Do not stand aside, Lord. Oh, my strength, come quickly to my help. And then there's a change in tone. Then I shall proclaim your name to my brothers, praise you in full assembly. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. Entire race of Jacob, glorify him. Entire race of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or disdained the poor man in his poverty. He has not hidden his face from him, but has answered him when he called. You are the theme of my praise in the great assembly. 
Before the Lord, all the prosperous of the earth will bow down. Before him will bow down all who go down to the dust, and my soul will live for him. My children will serve him. Men will proclaim to the, the Lord to generations still to come, his righteousness to a people yet unborn. All this he has done. That sounds familiar from our Lord, yes? This psalm of lament. Did you notice how the entire psalm takes God's word and brings it to us in the person, in the words of Jesus, catches us where we are, lamenting to God, calling on him in the day of trouble, reminding him of his promises that we learned, but lamenting that he hasn't fulfilled those at the present time, all the way through from Jesus' crucifixion, I am a worm, not a man, to his resurrection, the Lord has heard me, to the proclamation of his gospel, the Lord has done it, proclaimed to future generations. That's us. No suffering, no Christ. No suffering, no Christ. Well, it's time to see how to take this to heart and to home and to other people. The first thing is these words of scripture and that psalm. Uh, did that psalm sound like something else we heard a little earlier in the sermon? Yeah, I think so. I think this psalm is actually the basis for that famous hymn about Jesus who humbled himself even to death, death on a cross. It looks to me like Paul had been praying Psalm 22 a lot. Think about that thorn in his flesh and the sufferings he endured for the sake of the gospel. And what comes out of this is a shorter proclamation that every knee is going to bow to this Jesus who has perfected his work, who has done his suffering for all, and who continues to bring us to him with his word in the midst of our suffering. I think perhaps the best thing to do is to remember as we conclude our look at the fellowship of his sufferings that to take along that fellowship, to teach it to one another, to comfort each other with these words about Jesus' suffering for us, Jesus' resurrection waiting for us at the end of our suffering, I think the best thing to do is remember where we are in the church here. After Reformation Sunday comes All Saints Day. So what about that? What about that great cloud of witnesses? Paul actually says, um, as he's wrapping up his letter to the Philippians, that he wants us to imitate him as an apostle. Could also think about imitating Job. But to do that, you're going to have to be reading the book of Job. We're going to have to be reading the whole thing through. We're going to have to practice what the 19th century Lutheran thinker Sven Kierkegaard called repetition. The Bible is not just a one-time speed read or an occasional glimpse at a passage. In the book of Job, for instance, Job confesses, as I think most of us know by heart, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, may the name of the Lord be praised, but that's hardly the end of it. There are 40 chapters of his saying that and praying it against questions and challenges and with the boils on his head and feet over the long haul. There are these psalms, these psalms of lament, which I am afraid, brothers and sisters, we are barely aware of as a church. But they are the mainstay 
of this fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. Oh, and what about those saints? Well, Job is one of them. David is another, the author of many of those psalms. And I think that maybe most, if not all of us, may have somebody in our lives who is right now with our Lord in heaven. And we can think of them and the sufferings that they are no longer subject to because of this package deal, the fellowship of his sufferings involves life, death, and resurrection. Life, death, and resurrection. Life in Christ. Resurrection because of his resurrection. Life, death, resurrection. I think, for instance, of one of our children. Uh, we've had two children that the Lord has seen fit to take home to be with him in heaven already. Our son Stephen, at age 14, for his confirmation, chose a particular confirmation verse. This would have been just a few months before he had two failed liver transplants and was ultimately taken home to be with our Lord. Do you know what his chosen verse was? We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of heaven. I commend that to you. I commend to you the words of scripture, the words of the saints who have gone before us, the words of Jesus to you in your suffering, the words that we must be sharing with others who are suffering, and that's all of us. As Paul says, all I want to know is Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings by reproducing the pattern of his death. That is the way I can hope to take my place in the resurrection of the dead. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, as Paul writes, shall guard our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.